I think if that's the hard part. Even when it's conversational, you have to really teach the bot. Mm. Not that I'm using ChatGPT for anything. I, Dave is very all into ChatGPT. He is loving this stuff. But he's trying to teach it how to talk like him. You have to have a couple of goes, yeah. So then when he's writing stuff, he's really working with the bot. Like he and the bot have a good relationship at this point. <laughs> Has he used the bot to try and trick you into thinking it's him yet? No. Okay. Do Well, I mean, that you know of. As far as I know. <laughs> you just get a text message saying, the climax <laughs> yeah. of your shopping experience should be milk. Please buy milk. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's probably time for us to jump into some Watchtower Weekly, which is where we like to pick out some of the latest security news stories that have picked our interest in the last week or so and share our thoughts on them. And our first story this week is Amazon's Just Walk Out tech is a privacy nightmare. So this is from the Daily Beast. Amazon Starbucks have joined forces to introduce a new concept in New York City. Combination stores called Starbucks Pickup and Amazon Go. These stores allow customers to enter, grab items like coffee, books and convenience goods, and then exit without going through a traditional checkout process. Have either of you uh, done one of these yet? been to an amazon store like this i almost tried one in seattle where there was one right across the street from the hotel and i was like oh i should go try this and then never did but now i'm maybe glad i didn't i went there and so like you walk out of a bit and you go into another bit and so i bought lunch it's very limited in what you can actually buy so i bought a a burrito that i was gonna heat up in the the microwave thing the person in front of me using the microwave blew up the microwave so I had then at that point bought the, the, the thing and had like no way to return it. So I just bought a cold burrito in the end. But paid for quietly behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, paid for. Because like I walked out into the other area that was like with the microwaves. So what I assumed was going to happen was you walk out of the store and it charges you. But no, I got charged for a cold burrito that I left by the microwave because it was broken and assumed I wouldn't get charged. Ugh. But there we go. The technology, known as Just Walk Out, uses AI and sensors to facilitate this frictionless checkout experience, charging customers through their phone automatically. You have to kind of scan a QR code type thing on the way in. This convenience does come at a cost. You know, Amazon captures biometric data such as skeletal images and palm scans to link customers to their accounts for payment. Mm. The practice raises concerns about privacy and legality as biometric data, which, you know, skeletal images are are still biometric data collection without proper consent is against the law in new york a lawsuit filed by the surveillance technology oversight project which is a brilliant long name just to get to the acronym stop (laughs) alleges that amazon and starbucks are violating this law by sharing data and not adequately informing consumers The technology's implications go beyond privacy concerns. It's a step towards what's known as surveillance capitalism, where companies profit not from only sales, but also behavioral and biometric data. I mean, if you go into one of these Amazon stores, please make sure to do some sort of dance. And so you can see it in, you know, 10 years later being sold in some sort of Amazon game as a as a downloadable thing. <laughs> this shift from personalization to identification has raised alarms as well about the erosion of fundamental rights, the trend 
trends extend beyond these stores as other retailers are also adopting similar tracking technologies that use cameras to analyze customer expressions and demographics. While avoiding such stores may seem like a solution, limited choices and societal pressures will largely make it challenging to do so in the future. And just walk out is only the beginning. A larger trend is becoming visible now, and and we should just take a moment to think what the future could look like. This goes well beyond bringing sellers and buyers into a like a smart marketplace, increasing convenience and reducing friction. It completely kind of upends the buzz that we heard not so long ago about how big data would you know, reinvent capitalism and bring sophisticated matchmaking algorithms into everything. I think this is like a a foreboding of future things. I doubt there are many current uses for people's skeletal data, which is a phrase that I didn't wake up this morning thinking I would say out loud. Or even say properly. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, you say skeletal. Correct. Yes. Do, I think we say skeletal. Do you truly? I have no idea. I just made that up. <laughs> We do now. You said it with confidence, though, and that's what matters. There we go. I I don't like any aspect of this. I don't like the idea that my facial expressions could be later, like, used against me somehow. (laughs) Like, held on an account. I I don't like that at all. No. I don't like me on video when I know I'm on video. (laughs) I don't want to be on video when I'm shopping around all confused. Yeah, not at all. No, thank you. Hard pass. But I would like, I love the idea of this convenience. Like, we have no more bags in stores. Like, that's a thing, right? So you have to buy the reusable bags that aren't really reusable because you end up with 300 in the back of your car. But like, and when I go to the store, I get the cart. They could give me one of those boopers and I could just boop everything as it goes into the cart. I don't have to then get to the end, unpack the cart onto a weighted shelf, pack the cart back up because I have no bags anyways. And then wheel it out. Like if I could somehow boop in between and then just someone checks my cart as I go out and compares it to this, like that would just make life a lot faster. But it doesn't sound like they're very good at it yet. Like they're like, let's make it more convenient. But instead of making it more convenient, let's make it just easier for us to steal your information. Yeah. Which doesn't actually help anybody. Yep. So our next story comes from the BBC and it's that a court has found that teenagers carried out lapsus hacking spree. That's right, an 18-year-old from Oxford named Arion Cottage has been caught up in the global hacking gang that's been wrecking havoc on big tech companies like Uber, NVIDIA and Rockstar Games. It's recently been uncovered that Arion was a key player in the lapsus hacking group. These hackers made bold moves in 2021 and 22 hacking into huge corporations and even leaking unreleased parts of the highly anticipated Grand Theft Auto 6 game. But it's been recently uncovered that Arion was busy leaking this stuff while he was actually out on bail, staying in a Travelodge hotel. Lapses didn't just hack their way into tech giants like Microsoft and Revolut, but also liked to publicise their crimes on Telegram in both English and Portuguese. Arion, the teenager in question, teamed up with a 17-year-old fellow hacker in July 2021 when they targeted BT and EE, demanding a massive $4 million ransom. And while they didn't get away with the money, they made off with nearly 100000 by swiping cryptocurrency from the victims' accounts. And these hackers didn't let being arrested in January 2022 slow them down. They went on to breach NVIDIA and even had the nerve to demand a ransom to keep their stolen data under wraps. They even tricked an NVIDIA employee just to get login details, and they didn't stop there. They'd pester company employees with the approval requests until they got a yes. Eventually, Arion was doxxed by rival hackers who put his personal information online. 
he was moved to a hotel, given bail conditions, and told to stay off the internet. Despite the strict bail conditions, he was found with an Amazon Fire Stick, a new smartphone, keyboard and mouse in his hotel. All the tools he needed to keep hacking away. (laughs) The height of their spree was an attack on Rockstar Games, the makers of Grand Theft Auto. Arion posted a bold message on the company's messaging service, boasting that he had access to Grand Theft Auto 6 and threatened to release it unless they reached out to him within 24 hours. He even leaked unfinished gameplay clips online. So yeah... What do we make about this one? I don't know. He's on bail at a travel lodge motel and he's still figuring out how to do shit. <laughs> if I'm on bail at 17 living in a travel lodge, I'm crapping my pants. I'm not doing anything else. Like, I haven't figured out how to do anything at this point. His bail condition was an interesting one. Obviously, like, he wasn't allowed a computer because, you know, he's on, he's on bail for hacking crimes. But his hotel did allow him to have a amazon fire stick in the hotel and then managed to connect to cloud services and then newly purchased a smartphone keyboard and mouse and then he went on another hacking spree the audacity of it is uh is quite unbelievable yep yep all right so now we're wrapped up with watchtower weekly i think we can get into my chat with clint i sat down with clint bodungan to discuss his new book chat gpt for cybersecurity cookbook this was such a fun chat about how we can actually harness large language models like ChatGPT or Claude.ai and how if we use these tools in the right way, they can actually give us a bit of an edge in cybersecurity. Dropping by for a chat today is Clint Bodungeon. Clint is the author of the upcoming ChatGPT for Cybersecurity Cookbook. Learn practical generative AI recipes to supercharge your cyber skills. He is also the creator of ThreatGen, red versus blue simulation platform, the first online multiplayer cybersecurity computer game designed to teach real-world skills. This all sounds ridiculously fun. I am excited to dive into his latest book today. Welcome to the show, Clint. How are you, and how is the build-up to the book release going? Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. On one hand, it's been really amazing because I've been told by PACT that this particular subject is one of the fastest selling categories at this time or at this phase of pre-sales. I said that my pre-sales are doing really good. I'm getting amazing response just from the community in general. And the reason I said it's two-phase or there's two parts to this is because there's an accelerated timeline on this book. And so the amount of response that I'm getting and the just the amount of publicity in such a short time is unprecedented for me. I didn't see this much with my first book. Bit of additional pressure then. <laughs> There's a lot more pressure. But for those of you that don't know, writing a book is literally a second job. Mm-hmm. Can you give me some background on, uh, you mentioned this is your second book as well. You know, why you decided to write this book. It does seem like everybody is talking about this particular subject. How long has it been in the works? So after writing my first book, which is Hacking Exposed Industrial Control Systems, part of the Hacking Exposed series, after writing that book, I told myself I would never write another book <laughs> because I did not en- I did not enjoy the experience the first time. But I guess what's interesting is I've been dealing with AI since about 2013 when I first got into gamification of cybersecurity. And... I started looking into generative AI a few years later, just because I was quite frankly immersed in 
the world of Marvel at the time, and I really wanted my own Jarvis. And I started looking into how to make my own chatbot. There was also another project I was working on with Microsoft. They were working with OpenAI at the time, long ago. So like I kind of had hints into how, where this was going a long time ago. They were working with OpenAI in their cyber gym with some cybersecurity stuff, and we were helping them work on some of that, or at least a proposal to do so. And so I was introduced to some of the generative AI capabilities they had back then. I think this was about 2018, 2019. And that's when I was introduced to large language models. And so I've been playing around with this for quite some time. And then in 2022, I got word that OpenAI was going to release their chat GPT, their GPT models. And I was pretty excited about that. So I was an early adopter. And then around January of this year, I started introducing my family and friends to it and like, look what this can do. It's really amazing. And I started playing around with it and then just went gangbuster on me. At that point, I started writing out once I had access to the API, since I already had experience coding AI and generative AI techniques, I just went nuts on it. And it was just really fortuitous. I hadn't even thought about writing a book at that point. And someone from Pact Publishing reached out to me, which they tend to do, especially when you've already written a book. They approached me about this particular subject, and then I just, I relinquished. I said, okay, sure, why not? And then, then that's when I started working on it. That's fascinating to get a little peek behind the curtain as well from publishing and, and that type of thing. Can you kind of give us an overview of what the book covers and who do you think you really wrote it for? Like, who's the audience you intended? I wrote the book. It's specialized for cybersecurity, obviously, by the name. So sticking within the cybersecurity arena, I really wanted to focus on content that was directed towards those that were either A, in cybersecurity and wanted to make their skill set more efficient, be more productive, to augment the skills that they already have. But I think more importantly, I'm a huge proponent into trying to usher in the next generation of talent into cybersecurity. Like I said before, it's a really hot topic and there's a lot of people interested, but despite the fact that it's such a hot career field right now, there are a lot of people that don't know how to get into it or can't afford certifications and things like that. So I really wanted to make sure that I touched an audience that could really utilize this new, literally revolutionary technology to enhance their skill set, to augment their skill set. So those were the audiences that I was really, really focusing on. So what the book covers is primarily ChatGPT, not only ChatGPT though, but also the OpenAI API. Right now, everybody's writing an ebook or doing YouTube videos on ChatGPT prompt engineering. So this goes beyond prompt engineering. We're actually talking about how to use the OpenAI API with Python code. And I think in a couple instances, some JavaScript so you can build your own apps and extend the capabilities of just going ChatGPT. There's a lot of functionality that exists underneath the hood, so to speak, if you get beyond the web interface. We're talking about creating your own web interface. We're talking about using the power of the API, using Python code to build your own apps and to, to get extended functionality. So in a lot of ways, this book will help you get under the hood and behind the curtains of what's going on to build your own plugin-like functionality, to build your own code interpreter functionality, and dare I say, to even get ahead of the next feature set that might be within ChatGPT. And then finally, in the later parts of the book, 
because we understand like who knows where ChatGPT is going to be or OpenAI is going to be in six months from now. And there's already so many technologies coming out that are competing with ChatGPT. Like Claude 2 is amazing. I use Claude 2 now more than ChatGPT. But at the end of the book, in the, in the later couple more advanced chapters, we're talking about these other frameworks. So we're talking about how to use other large language models like open source rather than just GPT and open AI branded large language models. I mean, yeah, what an answer. You mentioned generative AI recipes in the kind of description of the book. You also mentioned that the the publisher of this is is really practical. So like what are some of the most exciting and, and practical recipes in your book that readers can kind of look forward to? Yeah, I would say exciting and practical sometimes diverge. And <laughs> yes. that, for example, the most exciting recipes are to me that teach you how to turn ChatGPT or Claude 2 actually even works better in some circumstances, how to turn them into a cybersecurity themed RPG or role-playing game. Those of you that are familiar with the old school text-based role-playing games like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or Zork, those sorts of games, I teach readers how to turn ChatGPT into a text-based role-playing game where it acts as the game master. It will create it instantly create an entire scenario, keep score, it's a choose your own adventure, basically, to where you just go through and it trains you. It could, it literally will train you on cybersecurity. And then on a more serious note, we do the same things for tabletop exercises. So doing in, for companies that do incident response tabletop exercises, I have recipes in there to show you how to run table to create and run tabletop exercises using ChatGPT as well. In fact, I even have a prototype out called Tabletop GPT to run tabletop exercises. So those are the fun and exciting things. Speaking more practically, I have simple GPT recipes from the web interface where you can just get help with GRC, cybersecurity standards. You don't understand what a standard is saying. You can feed it either excerpts or entire standards and have a chat question, getting your questions answered about a service. You can have it create entire vulnerability assessment plans. You can actually have it create a cybersecurity policy, an entire hundred Word 80 page cybersecurity policy. This is not meant to replace the human work. This is not meant to set it and forget it like an easy bake oven. This is literally meant to give you a first draft. This is meant to make things more efficient and optimize your time. And then you become the editor and then you you fine tune it and to your to your liking. But so yeah, so practicality speaking, anything that you can think of, there's recipes in there to make all aspects of your cybersecurity job more efficient or just more productive pen testing you know helping you with pen testing i have another example to where you can literally you run a script like say for example in kali linux and let's say you're not an expert with kali linux well there's an example of where you can run this script it becomes a terminal or your command line terminal and instead of understanding what all the command lines are for running a vulnerability scan or a network scan using Nmap, you just type it in plain language, natural language processing. I want to scan my network to look for this particular thing, look to look for evidence of this particular thing. ChatGPT or the API will automatically generate the necessary command and the necessary arguments for that command automatically feed it to the operating system and run that command. So you can literally run any command on Kali Linux from the command line without knowing anything about any of the applications or tools installed. 
or any options. You just tell it what you want and it does it. So that's one of the kind of exciting and exciting and practical ones. I like that. That's that's cool. I'm going to ask you about some more of the opportunities that we have with large language models. But my second question is going to float in the air, which is the kind of the ethical, the morality stance of like, how do we trust this thing to generate what it says it's generating? Right. So let's talk about this from two perspectives. Number one is you're sending stuff out to the internet. You're sending it out to an API. You're sending it out into the cloud, right? And and so what's happening with my data? Number one, when you're using the API, the cloud, ChatGPT that's out there in the internet, not only do I not recommend it, you should not be sending anything confidential or private out there. That's the reason why we're developing an open source cybersecurity model that is intended to be used locally without any connection to the internet whatsoever so that you can do these things completely private on your own and it doesn't get exposed anywhere. And that's why in the in later parts of the book, I do teach people how to use local open source models on their own so that if they're concerned about that. In the meantime, if you do want to experiment with the API version, the online version and ChatGPT, then you just you can sanitize or anonymize your requests. Now, in terms of the return that you get back, how do you trust what ChatGPT is giving you? You can just run it locally in a sandbox if you don't trust it to see what it's doing before you send it to production. In fact, I would highly recommend that anything that you're doing in terms of testing or penetration testing, you're doing it on a trusted or secured network or a sandbox network before you just go and put it on a customer's network or your own network. So the same caveats that apply to any cybersecurity operation or testing, such as making sure what you're doing is tested and verified before you put it on a production network, stand true here as well. You shouldn't do that anyway. So there's that. And then in terms of writing code, I don't recommend that you just take any code that it generates at face value. If you're not a programmer, then you should, again, try it out in a sandbox environment. You should make sure it works first. Because one good thing that ChatGPT and all these large language models can do is if it writes code and it gives you errors, you can then take that error, paste it back in, and it'll literally, it can work with you, like paired programming, to fix its own errors, and you'll work cooperatively with it. But do all of this in a, in a sandbox environment. You should never put untested code in a production environment anyway. So if you want to go into the other ethical considerations of plagiarism and copyright and stuff like that, we're not even getting to that realm at this point. We're just we're literally using information that is already public domain knowledge out there. We're not asking it to generate content and as far as coding content or code and things like that, none of this is really stuff that falls under plagiarism or anything like that. So those ethical considerations, I'm really trying to avoid by keeping it within the context of cybersecurity tasks that are not content generation, other than like security policies, which is coming from public domain information. So it's definitely you writing the book. That's what we that that's what we got there. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. So yeah, I am writing the book now. Writing a book on ChatGPT. I think it would be very apropos to have ChatGPT help me write the book. It would only stand to reason. So am I using ChatGPT at all to help with this book? Yes. Am I using it to help me write better code? Absolutely. But I'm the primary author and I double check everything. So 
But yeah, I use ChatGPT in my everyday life for everything now. <laughs> I'm I'm not quite there yet. I find it fascinating when people do. But I mean, taking the two perspectives there, do you think AI and ChatGPT actually give you a, a competitive edge in security? Like, what, are there downfalls in that? What do you think people need to take into consideration? With great power comes, comes great responsibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think it absolutely gives you a competitive edge because it makes you more efficient, makes you able to work faster. Anything that you do, ChatGPT can help you do better or faster, for example, it's better than Google search in a lot of instances. Now, I'm not looking for facts. I'm not looking for just current relevant information. And by the way, if you are looking for anything current and because ChatGPT has a September 2021 training data cutoff date, it's faster for me to use ChatGPT or Claude 2 than it is for me to use Google. If I use Google, I have to search through the links and then click on each one and then see if those have relevant information. Whereas ChatGPT gives me the instant answer right away. You could use it for anything. If you want a meal plan, it'll generate meal plans. If you want an exercise routine, it'll generate exercise routines. So it'll literally do and enhance just about anything that you can think of. So the caveats, the, the gotchas, the pitfalls, the potential things to look out for. You still need to be cautious about any facts. If you're asking it for factual information, you do need to do your fact checking like you should do for anything. Cross check multiple sources because sometimes it can hallucinate. The nature of a large language model in the way it works is that if it doesn't know something, sometimes instead of saying, I don't know, it can sometimes make stuff up or say things that are so realistic in the way it sounds, but it's not true. So you got to be careful about that kind of stuff. I would also say that you know, if you're, if you're using this to enhance your knowledge, maybe you try to get a job. You got to be careful about that, right? You want to be careful about using this to enhance your own skills, but you don't use it to further your skills and learn more. What's going to happen is, let's say that you use it to create a resume and then you use it to take tests and you use it to enhance your knowledge. And then somebody questions you on that knowledge. You don't have any answers than what you were told by ChatGPT. So you can use it as a, as a tutor and use it to educate you. You can use it to enhance your productivity and knowledge that you already have. But if you try to use it to give you knowledge that you don't have or pretend to have knowledge you don't have, it's going to get you in trouble. I think that's a great explanation. Yeah, you can use it to learn how to drive, but like it's not going to drive for you. <laughs> not yet. Anyway, ask Elon. <laughs> I mean, that is terrifying. I, I do not want that. <laughs> okay, so where can people learn more about you or pre-order this book when it's out? You can pre-order the book on Pact Publishing's website, and you can also pre-order it on Amazon. If you just want to learn more about me, so my day job, my real actual day job, I'm the founder of ThreatGen, which is a cybersecurity startup, and that's where we have our game, our cybersecurity training game simulation platform, Red versus Blue. It's called ThreatGen Red versus Blue. So that's at ThreatGen.com. And my bio is in the about company. And then my side gig is called CyberSuperhuman.ai. And I actually have a companion course to my upcoming book. The companion course is called Mastering AI with Cybersecurity. And in that course, we cover everything that I cover when the book comes out, 
But we go far beyond that. I talk about everything that we talked about earlier about using the framework called LangChange to build your own apps on top of the technology, writing code, using all the other different frameworks. So yeah, cybersuperhuman.ai and threadgen.com are where people can find out more about me and my other works. That's amazing. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. That's all we have time for. But I think it's been an incredible view over over several topics there. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that was Matt's chat with Clint. And now it's time for our newest segment of the show called Did You Know? This is where we like to share a quick one password tip or just a security tip in general that folks might not know about. We also like to shout out any recent personal recommendations we've been loving, whether that be a movie, app, game, recipe, anything, really. So so I have one. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I have one. So as you guys may have heard, Abby is officially old enough to be going off to university. She's my oldest. Yes. And so we have really been upping our 1Password game lately with how we put everything else in there, not just the logins, but like, you know, we have a new identity card in there for her and it has her room number and the Amazon shipping address so that we can send her packages, putting all of that information all into one thing. We have her school schedule in there as a document, like everything is all in 1Password. So no matter where she's at on campus, she'll have her phone with her, she can pop it open there it is. She's just got everything all in there. She's got a copy of her driver's license. She's got a copy of any sort of paperwork. She might need her health card, anything like that, so that no matter what's going on, she has it. So we've really been using all of those extra things as opposed to just, you know, using it for the logins lately. That's that's really smart. As my son has started using his iPad more and more recently, he has been asking to log into different services that we have. So like this morning, he installed the HBO Max app. Sorry, just Max now. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just throw this into the Sawyer vault. And he was able to just log right in with what password autofill extension there. So like it's creating creating a shared vault uh, between you and your kids is, is uh, really nice because you can then give them access to certain pieces of information, but without giving them access to your bank account and everything else. So that's another good, good tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those shared family vaults go a long way for like, just making sure you can have stuff. Because then again, you know, as you're saying, as the kids age too, right? Like you might have stuff and you don't share it with them until they get older. But then it's like, okay, now you need to have this because you're, I'm going to trust that you can have access to whatever streaming service it is, you know, and, and you're going to go for it and see how that goes. That's that's the other one we were making sure of. She had all the logins for all the different streaming services so that when she's on campus, she could still watch all the favorite shows. Yep. It's, it's good. It's really good. This one password thing, I think it could really catch on. Uh, it's got some potential. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Did you know anything this week? What, what did I discover this week? Well, no, nothing like this week. But I, I will say, as I mentioned Obsidian last week, I will mention the other app other than 1Password that I absolutely love. And it's Raindrop. Raindrop.io, I think, is the address. I love this thing for mood boarding and, like, privately Pinteresting and bookmarking and all the things. So there you go. That's my thing of the week. I really like just bookmarking everything. And this thing makes it really cool to like store them in the right place and have mood boards and, and like interesting images and that type of thing. I would have thought Raindrop was a weather app. So I appreciate you clarifying that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's an all-in-one bookmark manager. It is. Just I like the fact that you can set it to like image like gallery mode and so then it'll just grab an image from all of the bookmark sites. That's awesome. All right, I think we should move over to Hacker No Hacker. But yes, do we have the jingle? Anna will insert actual jingle here. 
Oh, okay, great. Hacker, no hacker, is it real or fake? But doom, doom, doom. Hacker, no hacker, real or a mistake? Hacker, no hacker, is it real or fake? It is very much in the back of my head. I've been listening to it in the back of my head as I've been on several meetings of late where I'm like, oh, there's an awkward pause. Well, this is the perfect time. (laughs) So in a world where hacker group names are either expertly crafted or absolutely ridiculous, each week we're going to try and guess if the hacker names that I've got today are real or fake. So it is that time again where we're going to play Hacker No Hacker. Here it is. Hacker, no hacker, is it real or fake? But doom, doom, doom. Hacker, no hacker, real or a mistake? I like the fact that Sarah's out on top from the last two rounds. Like it was a draw, and then you won against Rue last time, and then I'm playing Rue this time. So we'll see, like, at the end of this game, where the full chart is, I think. Yes, I was very excited when Anna was like, who could host? And I'm like, I would love to try because I think it's fun when you two play against each other. So the competition is real. (laughs) The very first one I'm going to come at you with is Crimson Sandstorm. Hmm. Is that a real hacker group? Or is that a fake hacker group? I like the uh, the 90s cyber tech angle on it. Yeah. Um. So I think I'm going real. Oh, interesting. So this is uh, this is real bait. Like this is not this is not a real name. This is meant to sound real. Oh, but it's not like this is a fake. This is a fake hacker group. Name. Okay. Well, I am afraid to say, Rue, that you are incorrect. <laughs> This is indeed a real group. The confidence that you go in with. (laughs) Yes. So this group actually received their name from Microsoft. Microsoft has started naming hackers after the weather, much like hurricanes, in a naming taxonomy update. So hackers will be named after events like storms, typhoons, blizzards, as part of the eight groups that Microsoft is using to track cyber attacks. So Crimson Sandstorm isn't a fancy new surface color. It is the name Microsoft has given to Iranian state-aligned hackers. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. So we have Matt ahead by one. And that brings us to our next hacker group name, Requiem Phoenix. Is Requiem Phoenix a real? This sounds like an angsty teenager has has decided to change their name. (laughs) I will now be known as Requiem Phoenix. Mom. You gotta call me Requiem Phoenix. The voice is what makes it. <laughs> so, is this angsty teen Requiem Phoenix real or fake? I I can't work it out at all. This one's this one's fake. This one's fake. Yeah, I think this one's fake. It is indeed fake. Sorry, angsty teen, you will remain. <laughs> um, our next one. Just seen the next one. Is Soup Nazi? No, there's no way that. <laughs> there's yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm going real. I'm going real on this. Isn't isn't this a Seinfeld episode? It is. Yes, the Soup Nazi. It's a really good one as well. Yep. <laughs> but but maybe the hacker group is named after the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> <laughs> so good news, Rue. Yeah. You are correct. And the nice thing is here, this actually he is not a group. This is just an individual, Albert Gonzalez. He's an American computer hacker and a computer criminal and a police informer who previously went by the name Soup Nazi. He collected credit card numbers as a part of the Shadow Crew hacking group, 
and was accused of masterminding the combined credit card theft and subsequent reselling of more than 170 million credit card and ATM numbers from 2005 to 2007, the biggest fraud in history. So yeah, okay. he named himself after a Seinfeld episode. Okay. That's great. The dates track, I think. So yes, the good news is it was real. Very memorable. All right. Yeah. Two more to go. Next one, Ice Nemesis. <laughs> also real. Sounds like a 90s Bond villain. <laughs> um, I'm going fake. Oh, I really don't want to lose to Rue. Wow. What did you say, Rue? I said that was real. Oh, well, I'm afraid this one indeed is fake. Oh. Okay. Whew. That's all right. Sorry, Rue. It's fine. So where does that leave us? Three, two. Three to two. Matt's ahead. Three to two. Okay. Well, Rue, this is your chance. I hope you're ready. This is our last one for today. I hope that Steve Wan is listening because this is one that I tested him on at a recent meeting and I refused to give him the answer. I told him he had to tune in to this episode so that he could find out if this was in fact real or fake. So our last one for today is Momentum Voodoo. Mm. Memento Voodoo. Is that real or fake? It's actually quite a good one, isn't it? It is good. Yeah, I'm going I'm going real on this. Okay, I'm going to go fake. All right. Well, Steve Wan also went real, as you did, Rue. And Steve Wan would also be wrong. It is indeed a fake name. Yeah. Congratulations, Matt. Uh, <laughs> it's brutal. Is voodoo Latin? Brutal. I don't think voodoo is Latin. Memento is. How does that vary on whether it's real or fake? Do you have some sort of Latin rules? Uh, is your rule algorithm different than mine? Maybe they like put more thought into it. Because, like, if it's a hacker group, they've got to live with it forever. Like, they've got to be called that in, you know, prison when they get caught. Yeah, so. that poor soup Nazi's thinking about that choice that he made. <laughs> I enjoy that my thought process was basically like, yeah, they'll get ridiculed if they don't use two Latin names. <laughs> they use one Latin name and then one made up, you know. Oh, can you imagine? That taxonomy gang is going to be after them. Oh, dear. <laughs> nice. All right, well, it has been a heck of an episode, but we're two minutes late for the next meeting. So, love you both. Love you both. Love you both. Bye-bye. So that was Matt's chat with Clint, and now it's time for our newest segment of the show called Did You Know? <laughs> Did I come in a little hot there, Matt? Is that why you're laughing at me? <laughs> you came in a little hot there. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Matt's chat with Clint. Wasn't that fantastic? All right. Well, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> oh, my God. Somebody else want to do this? Isn't that good, kids? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs>